He has been managing director and global chief executive officer of CIPLA since September 2016. Previously, he was CIPLA's global chief financial officer and global chief operating officer. Prior to joining CIPLA, he led the North American business of Dr. Reddy's Laboratories. After gaining degrees in engineering, marketing, and finance, he led teams at Icra Motors and PepsiCo. Under his leadership, CIPLA has built strong momentum in its home markets, augmented its capability, strengthened its core, and shown significant improvement in its operating margin and profitability. At the helm of the CIPLA Management Council, his vision is to define and execute CIPLA's strategic growth roadmap and geographic footprint, identify the next levers of growth, invest in innovation for the future, and build the right organization. Recognized as an action-oriented industry leader, he's a firm believer in the power of agile business models, disruptive technologies, data-driven analytics, and a future-ready workforce with a view in shaping the healthcare ecosystem and making a difference in the lives of patients. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with CIPLA's global CEO, Umang Bora. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curvebenders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curvebenders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Curvebender's book, Introduction, How Will You Get There? In your journey from now to next, the fundamental difference between achieving your roadmap and falling apart depends on a handful of critical points in your growth journey. There are times when you feel stuck in a rut or have hit a ceiling where you're not learning, growing, or feeling your forward momentum. Sometimes it may be an organizational structure. Often, it's easy to blame external factors for problems of our own making. As I'll discuss in subsequent chapters, the most competitive and valuable firms have mastered the challenges of dynamic market environments. New business models and maneuverability of the organization's few core competencies, along with the enabling technologies, continually change the organization's labor flex. Labor flex refers to the willingness and the ability of the talent in the organization to learn, unlearn, and relearn new skills more relevant to the newly discovered or created market demands. As such, the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn becomes critical in the reskilling, upskilling, and redeploying talent in every organization. Growth for many people is a linear proposition. That's one of the early obstacles in your roadmap. 
as expectations of you will continue to increase in widely diverse ways. You'll need to connect the dots between what skills, knowledge, and behaviors you must gain and how to acquire them quickly and efficiently. Carol Dweck's work on the growth mindset is particularly relevant here because understanding your own belief about whether you can improve can show you what stands in the way of all of your self-development efforts. The S-curve framework used in a broad array of disciplines to represent the start, accelerated growth, and maturity of something via an S-shaped curve can help you understand the what and the how in your growth journey. Creating a career lattice of experiences that are woven together to support your continued learning and growth along a personal S-curve will continue to help you remain relevant, increasing your personal and professional value to a plethora of companies and industry sectors. The key will be to create micro-learning opportunities to engage and influence various audiences. How you motivate a group of frontline contributors amid the COVID-19 storm is vastly different than how a CEO may share sentiment on an earning call or inspire the board to invest while competitive peers cut strategic priorities and hoard cash. Your best learning and growth opportunities will come from uncomfortable experiences, so understanding guardrails will be invaluable. My friend and MG100 colleague, Whitney Johnson, wrote a Harvard Business Review article in September 2012 where she used the S-curve to highlight the development of competence in a new domain, expertise, core to professional learning and growth. She later published a book that discusses the topic titled Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work. I'll go further into your personal S-curve in Chapter 6. Read the rest of this excerpt from my journey in writing the Curvebenders book in our private, free online community, NOR Forum. Learn more at norgroup.com slash forum. Welcome back to another episode of the Curvebenders podcast. I am joined today by a, a CEO that I've gotten to know last couple of years and admired for his steadfast uh, stewardship of this global enterprise. I want to welcome uh, Umang Vohra, CEO of CIPLA, to the Curvebenders podcast. Umang, welcome. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Umang, for those who may not know anything about CIPLA, could you start by a couple of minutes of first your personal background, kind of your own journey, and then tell us a little about CIPLA as, a, as an organization? Happy to do so, David. So let's start with my background first. So I'm, uh, you know, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry now for almost uh, close to 20 years. And uh, prior to this, I've uh, worked with PepsiCo, and I've also worked with uh, with a lodging, leading automobile large manufacturer in India, an engineer uh, and an MBA by training. I've also, you know, was part of a family where my father used to work in the Indian Navy, so have actually lived, uh, worked in several countries, including Russia, Germany, in the U.S., and so, and of course, India. So, yeah, that's that's a little about me. Sipla uh, is an interesting, very, very interesting, a company of rich legacy. It's an 85 year old um, organization, one of the first to make affordable healthcare possible uh, in large parts of Africa through their enterprise in HIV. And uh, you know, when most of the world was giving up on this, Sipla uh, came to the fore and brought um, a really affordable treatment in 2001 uh, for HIV around the world. And 
We're present in 80 plus countries. We've got large presence of obviously in India, in the US and South Africa and large number of emerging markets. So that's a little about um, CIPLA as well. So you and I've talked a couple of times as this global pandemic kind of hit all of us and has grounded you and, and your entire leadership team. And so talk a little about uh, what you're seeing and how CIPLA has had to adapt to this incredibly new environment. So it's uh, it's remarkable. I think one of the good things that happens for companies like us, um, David, is this is a wonderful opportunity. It's a it's a gifted opportunity to serve. Right now, we're in the pharmaceutical industry. We understand that obligation, and we've come to the fore. You know, come close to the purpose of caring for life. It's really about bringing new treatments, new drugs, making drugs more accessible to people, and that's what the leadership team has been seized off uh, within CIPLA. So we've marketed a number of products that are used for COVID, signed new licensing agreements, but all with the realization that uh, we have an opportunity to make the world better, right? So it comes quite naturally to to CIPLA at this point in time to just work with their heart and, uh, you know, imagine that a patient is actually not uh, a consumer, but as somebody's parent or somebody's child or somebody's uncle or aunt. And I think that's the philosophy that we use to operate. You've uh, fully embraced this idea of COVID as an impetus to rethink, reimagine, reinvent part of your business. And you and I had this really rich conversation around reimagining leadership. Talk a little about what that means to you and what are you doing to coach your team to really rethink, if not reimagine, their perceptions of what it means to lead amidst this crisis? Yeah, I think it's a great question, David. I think some of the things that we have been able to uh, to do, and personally, I think from, from my perspective, I think the two factors that come out uh, right on top in terms of how we need to act and behave as leaders, um, the first is obviously empathy. Uh, it's a time when a large portion of the world, and you know, eventually somebody or the other will be challenged, uh, with COVID or with other indications in their family. So it's really about bringing this whole empathetic uh, approach to society, empathetic approach to team members. Um, I think that's a quality that we're, uh, that we're trying to make sure that each one of our leadership team possesses uh, and shows more of. The second is really courage. And, you know, courage is, uh, is very important for all of us, but it's increasingly important now because you're in a terrain where everything is not predictable where you, there are discontinuities, there are dislocations, and you have to try new things and you have a very small window to make sure that you're executing right. So I think courage is the other is the other large leadership quality that we want to do. The third, I think, which is also important, um, is hope. We'd like our leaders to signify hope, to show that there is a better tomorrow, to actually work towards that better tomorrow. And I think that's something that we'd like our leaders to, to possess, and including you know, a lot of our communication is about hope. It's about gratitude. Uh, it's about courage and also the ability to to make a difference to people's lives. So I think it's uh, those qualities would be the ones that come out uh, directly from, from our perspective. You're also heavily investing in both elevating your own thinking, but also the leadership team's approach. I know Jazz, your chief strategy officer, and I have had several discussions around this of digital as really a common thread, digital as an enabler of this evolution of CIPLA. Talk about why and how digital is such a kind of strategic priority for you. So it's interesting, David. If you were to look and ask anyone today around the world, right, it doesn't matter whether you live in the U.S., you live in Japan, you live in India, 
And you ask them, what are the two most uh, to be disrupted industries, if you will? And uh, the answers will be clear. What they're going to say, education, they're going to say healthcare, right? Definitely these two feature in a large number of the lists of most private equity, venture capital and other other disruptive innovation thinkers. So, you know, the, the dawn is there. I think it's dawning on us as well that this that healthcare would be disrupted. And then I think digital, if you look at it, has this ability to just make adjacencies disappear. And it's and it's rapidly scalable. And if you look at healthcare, it's a really fragmented industry from people who distribute to people who manufacture to where point of care is delivered. Right. It's it's a very fragmented to insurers, to payers. And if you were to look at that, I think digital has an opportunity to just make these adjacencies uh, disappear and to cause a disruption that leads to a better experience for patients. I am also going to say that um, you know, in this in this journey, um, almost uh, a year and a half back, we recognized that digital could be an enabler or sort of us to seek and move up the value chain. And at that point in time, I'd made a comment once, which is today a threat. Now, it was a threat then, but it's a bigger threat today. And I mentioned that we don't want our future to be Amazon, right? And I think uh, we're at a stage today where you know whether it's Amazon or it's uh, or, or or it's anybody else in the e-commerce space or in the healthcare space. I think that's the real risk for the healthcare markets across the world and for companies like us, uh, that digital becomes a way of reimagining, a way of trying to figure out what our relevance is going to be uh, in the years ahead. As you brought up, Amazon uh, launched Haven, their their foray into healthcare, and, and it seems like different industries, you know, several years ago, nobody thought they'd be in the supermarket business, right? So it seems like the industries that they go after Umang, they go with uh, gusto and they dramatically look for disruption in efficiencies and the experience. And so how do you battle that? How do you battle such a behemoth that on any given day, and, and they've publicly admitted that healthcare, as you said, is fragmented and it's a target market for them. How do you battle that? I think the first is the realization, uh, David, that you know they have this heft, the power to change things very quickly. Right, because I think for any anything that disrupts, the urgency must be very clear. And I think the moment you have players like Amazon, or you know, in different markets of the world, there there's Amazon and there's other players as well competing for the space. But I think that's the first. The second is I think most corporations have legacy businesses, and in legacy businesses, it's very difficult to imagine, or even for that matter, to go along with the thought that you could be disrupted, as you couldn't you couldn't be that you would not possibly come into office the next day. So it's important for us to reimagine this as a part, not so much as a part of our core business, but something that sits around it. And so the right strategy, um, you know, good or bad, we'll know in a period of time, is for us to keep this part of innovation a little separate, a little sequestered, uh, this business model innovation from our core business. And so we're trying to take multiple, multiple bets at how this ecosystem could shape. Um, And I think the first thing we're doing is trying multiple things with the same philosophy of, you know, fail fast but learn a lot, right? And the second is just to, you know, to give, to probably entertain any unconventional idea on how this healthcare ecosystem could, could become more streamlined uh, digitally. And the third is to try and encourage and create a new culture, a new organization, which is possibly a little distant from the core organization uh, from a perspective of being able to launch a new business model. I really appreciate the last one. You and I have had this conversation around the core business is build a perfect execution box. And right, and most of us want for our pharmaceutical companies that we deal with to be 
really good at both that part, right? Please don't fail on that part of the uh, the equation. By the same token, you know, create a separate entity, what we call the sandbox engine, to really reimagine, reinvent, really explore, really build a culture of inquiry. And I'm really excited about you know the team that you're putting together to go, pr- you know, really pursue that that avenue. Where do you see? The future of pharma, as you mentioned, Cipla just celebrated 85 year legacy. I think I mentioned to you I watched a YouTube video of Dr. Hamid and and their whole passion for HIV and affordable medication to parts of the world that didn't previously have access to it. What's the next two decade of Cipla look like to you? A, a great question. I, I think the next two decades of Cipla will probably look a little like where we think the industry is going to go. And I think one of the biggest um, Trends we are seeing, David, is this whole shift from illness to wellness, right? And I think COVID in some ways accelerated that trend because you and I today are more more worried about managing our own health um, than anyone else. So this would mean we would we would wear variables. This would mean we would track our own health assiduously. Uh, this would mean that we would begin to think about our staying well as against becoming well, you know, becoming better from sickness. So I think this trend. This trend is a is a big technology trend as well, because we will suddenly begin to think about things we're eating. We're going to enter stuff like that. We're going to use sensors to track um, how we're performing. Um, and we're going to be talking to our doctors digitally. So if you look at, you know, just the most recent merger, the largest merger in the U.S. between Teladoc and Livango, I think it's the same thing, right? It's just an acceleration of the trend. So we think it's going to be more digital. We think it's going to be Patients getting a lot more of treatment, patients and consumers getting a lot more treated at home as against constrained healthcare systems and a very, very wide use of technology. So I think that's where the industry is headed. It's just this whole move. But I think more importantly, from a simpler perspective, we operate in various markets, which are at very different stages of evolution in this journey. But there's one thing that we are trying to do, which is to accelerate in most of our key markets, a direct-to-patient you know, sort of a sort of an interface, not solely with the purpose of delivering a pill, but more more with the purpose of trying to manage the whole healthcare, the whole healthcare needs that the, these patients have, and I think that is what we're uh, we're trying to do. That's also part of our innovation journey in terms of redefining how we reach patients and consumers and how they take care of themselves. What I appreciate is is not just your efforts to build a great relationship with those end consumers, but also learn learn about their experiences, learn about their needs, learn about their habits and behaviors, and really begin to anticipate their future needs, right? So not just, as you said, the pill that I get from Cipla today, but how do I keep increasingly multi-generations, right? Ton of data that shows we're living longer, we're you know, working longer, uh, you know, closer family unit, you know, predominantly because of this, you know, global pandemic, how do I how do I proactively manage those uh, the, the wellness journey, if you will? You and I talked about curve benders as these strategic relationships in the future of how we'll work, live, play, and give that profoundly change our direction, if not our destination. Can you think of some curve benders in your life, Umang, that not have just helped you accomplish more, but in some ways have profoundly shaped who you've become? Yeah, I think, David, the, you know, for every one of us, our parents in some way are curve benders, right? Uh, their struggles, their their values and what they teach us uh, is 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 enormous, right? So many times in my life, if I'm challenged with the situation, and at times, you know, these challenges come as ethical challenges, you go back 
And one of the questions you ask yourself is, how would my parents have reacted to me doing something like this? Or how would I, you know, how would my, how did my parents approach a situation like this? And your answers come because your values, uh, they get, you know, your true north gets established pretty much with how you've grown up in childhood. But I think beyond that, there have been several individuals. And I think what's been remarkable, uh, David, is I've learned, I've learned the most from people who persona-wise were the, were, the, were the exact opposite of I was, of how I was, right? And I think this has been remarkable. I would always think earlier that you would have more people like you when you begin to learn from them. They create a more conducive environment, a more jovial environment. People at your frequency, people like you create a more jovial environment. But there have been instances in my life, at least two of them, where I've learned the ability to be more diligent uh, from somebody who was completely the opposite of how, of how I was when I was growing up or a boss who was exactly the opposite. And the second case is just, you know, things like more things like brevity, more things like how you uh, bring focus to a particular item, right? From, from another boss that I worked with sometime later in life. And I realized both of these people, uh, they were very different, very, very different from me persona wise, but they added a lot to my leadership toolkit. So there've been quite a few uh, curve benders and, uh, you know, definitely some of the senior leaders in the industry and uh, the pharmaceutical industry who've had the privilege of working with have also taught me that the pharmaceutical industry is one where you build capabilities over a period of time. Uh, so it's interesting, right? The, all this fuses into the people and the leadership behaviors we espouse. You and I have spent some time together in your global leadership program, and I've and I've appreciated, you know, kind of observing your kind of on-demand coaching of of some of uh, CIPLA's uh, great leaders, both up and coming, but also the, the more established executives that you surround yourself with. Oman, what do you believe makes a really strong curve bender? You know, in the lives of people that you've been able to impact, what do you think are some of those attributes that that really make a great, not just a coach or a great boss or a mentor, but more more of a profound impact? My own reflections have been one where I think the purpose that that everyone you know that everyone wants to work toward that has to fuse with the passion. So that's the first place where I think most of us, uh, when we are going through life, some of us have figured out right uh, what our purpose um, really is. Some of us figured out our calling. Uh, there are others who say that a lot of this is not established, but it gets cultivated over a period of time. So. I think most career conversations begin to derail when the purpose and the passion, you know, the, the, there are negative energies between the two. And so I think those are, those are the conversations that mentors can really help establish in terms of, uh, you know, bending the curve upwards for a lot of people. But I think curiosity, I believe that if we can infuse or if we can allow people to stretch, uh, to have higher levels of acceptability and curiosity, I think that makes a very, very big point. So if, you know, as a role as a men mentor, if you can awaken a curiosity in someone, if you can try and marry and fuse their passion and the purpose that they or their company works for, I think those become the biggest curve benders because you can have great levels of performance. And the real thing is between performance or between your own passion and your purpose, I believe it's the purpose that trumps, that, that triumphs more than the passion. In our discussions, I've, seen, I've certainly seen firsthand, you know, your passion, your empathy, uh, and and those values you try to instill in others as a rallying cry to to lead with a purpose. So kudos to you. 
final uh, question. I, did, I, did I hear you're gardening these days or you're rowing? What, what's keep, what are you keeping? What, what are you doing to keep busy in this in this global pandemic where none of us can travel? And, and <laughs> I'm reimagining. I'm reimagining too, <laughs> David. So yeah, I've I've you know I've picked up a little bit of gardening. It's uh, it's interesting. Um, it's um, I, I never thought that I would sweat as much. <laughs> Uh, when I would garden, I would always look at people sitting down weeding and I would wonder, you know, what type of a job is that? But, you know, you learn to respect roles when you get into them. Uh, uh, it's a very humbling experience for your very humbling, fruit very and humbling. vegetables, right? <laughs> yeah. So so I think that's one. The second is, you know, my son's um, my son's actually tra- uh, training to join the crew team uh, with, the, with the school that he's uh, that he's enrolled in. And so one of the things we did was we bought the the rowing machine, right? So now I I use it as well, and it's a great workout. But I've never done it in my entire life. So, you know, there's been a great opportunity to welcome new insights and thoughts um, into our lives and new activities. That's fantastic. Umang, I want to thank you. On behalf of our audience, I want to thank you for uh, being a guest on the Curve Vendors podcast. And best wishes to you and the CIPLA leadership team in this in this. Uh, Really remarkable opportunity to reimagine CIPLA and its evolution. Thank you, David, and keep well. Thank you very much. If you've listened to the Curve Benders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curve Benders book on why strategic relationships will power your nonlinear growth in the future of work. This will be book number 11 with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, great interviews like the one you heard today. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the members of our NOR forum community. So go to norgroup.com slash forum and check out the Curve Benders thread for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curve Vendors podcast with Umang Vohra, the global CEO of CIPLA. Three comments Umang made during our interview really resonated with me. Number one, reimagining leadership with empathy, courage, and hope. I think COVID-19 and this global pandemic has dramatically impacted him and his leadership team. A, it's grounded everybody. B, everybody's have to work from home. And as he mentioned, the apartments in uh, Mumbai are dramatically smaller than many of the homes we live in. So really em- practicing and demonstrating empathy, leading with courage, and constantly demonstrating hope of a better future for yourself, for the team, for the organization is critical. Number two, digital as an enabler of making adjacencies disappear. I thought that was really interesting and how they're evolving beyond the pill to potentially healthcare services that's very different than their 85-year history. Number three, I love his comments about becoming a curve bender. How often do we think about that purpose and passion alignment? And if it's misaligned and others that you respect, you trust, 
that are potential curve benders in your life are not pointing that out and are helping you create that alignment? How often could you go sideways? And then I love the awakening of the curiosity. I genuinely believe it's the spark that gets all of us excited about a new direction, new path. Don't forget, I turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. So check them out in our free member-based community, NOR Forum. Join us at norgroup.com slash forum. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm using the hashtag CurvebendersPodcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. Thank you.